I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Today I'm going to read for you a few more stories from what I call Patches of a Secondhand Planet. If you're not familiar with these yarns, all you need to know is that they occur sometime in the future on a planet that's seen better days. That said, let's get to the first one, which is called The Cold Man and Old Head. There was once a man who was always so very cold, so he went on a journey until he found a polite, nice woman in a nice, polite land, and she kept him warm for a little while. He got cold again, and so they made a boy and a girl, and they kept him warm for a little while. The man got so terribly cold again that it drove him to a shivery madness, and he set his children and wife on fire. This kept the man warm for a little while, but because they all wept in terrible pain, the tears put out the fires. The cold man became angry and accused them of all being selfish. At that, he set them on fire again. They all cried, but he kept spraying them with gasoline, and eventually the tears ran out. The daughter jumped in a lake and swam away. The wife ran off a short distance, used her blood to put out most of the fire, but left a little bit burning so her husband could still see her and not try to relight her. The son decided to please his father and so let the flames consume his whole being and endured the flames as best he could. And this kept the man warm for a little while. When the man became cold again, the son went hunting for people and brought them to his father, already lit. This kept the man warm, but the son was sad because he liked many of the people he'd flamed up and brought to his father. So the son suggested they build a pyre to keep super warm, and they wouldn't have to burn any more people. When the now terrified people in the land heard the son's idea, they gladly helped gather kindling and brush and other dead vegetation to fuel the cold man's fire. And this kept the man warm, but of course only for a little while, after which the man started throwing the helping people onto the pyre and they screamed in pain, many of them dying. This kept the man very warm, but only while there was fresh people fuel on the pyre. And so there was a great sadness and loss in the land, not to mention a drastic decline of the population and a terrible acrid smell, which might have meant no more bodies to throw on the fire, but nice unsuspecting people wander into terrible situations, almost as often as terrified people flee from them. I mean, who can turn down an invitation to become insatiably warm? Now, not terribly far away from all the fires, lived what looked like a little girl with an old person's face. She wore what seemed like layers upon layers of clothes and loved to stand in the rain. One day, she happened to pass by some crispy burnt people running and talking about the cold man and all his meanness. The old-faced little girl was taken by the sad story and paid a neighbor to give her a ride on his pet sky mole. It only took a couple of burrowings out of a few clouds for her to spy the pyre and the flaming people and to hear all the screaming. Oldie Face decided to make a dirt puppet show about the cold man to help warn people in the land not to come near him and to caution children not to grow up burning people. Reference note. If you've been through those parts, you already know this, but if not... There are small trees called root reachers, which for some unfortunate reason directs its roots down, over, and then up. If you've tripped in the wilderness and looked back saying to yourself, why were those roots reaching for my ankles? Well, then you know the roots that we're talking about. Anyway, long ago someone thought to yank back at the exposed roots and discovered a tiny tree a short distance away whose branches moved this way and that. Eventually, an arty type person molded mud over the trees to look like people or animals, and at a tug here and there at the roots, 
head dancing dirt bears or mouth running dirt orators. Dirt puppet theaters became such a popular form of entertainment that naturally an organized mob of malcontents was formed to protest the practice under the guise that covering the root reachers with mud was killing them and they had no choice in the matter. But the art world defended itself by pointing out that the trees were always in the middle of committing suicide when they were recruited into the theater life. The exposed half-nod-on and boot-scarred roots presented as evidence. But as most mobs who claim to speak for an unspeakable third party do, the protesters ignored the evidence and began disrupting performances, even killing a few dirt puppeteers by covering them in mud till they suffocated. Finally, Brother Nature threw his hat in the ring and wiped out all the anti-dirt theater peoples by deeming their choice of nature-friendly vegetation-free diets as unsustainable, and they all died of random deficiencies, common sense notwithstanding. Yeah, okay, back to the old-faced little girl's dirt puppet shows. It was both a sad and funny work, showing all the suffering people and making the cold man look like a crazy wingnut. Sometimes past victims would attend the shows and laugh for the first time since they had been scorched. Other victims would run away mid-performance, screaming from the bad memories. And some of the past victims who stayed for the whole performance would leave crying out of pity for the man who hurt people to stay warm. Although the Dirt Puppet Show did help many people steer clear of the cold man, there was always somebody who got caught by the cold man's son. Oldie Face decided that the terror in their land was not going to completely stop until someone blocked the cold man from his hurtful deeds. So she bravely ventured to the pyre and told the man he would never get contentedly warm setting everyone on fire. Strangely, this was the first time the cold man had ever heard such criticism, and he was stunned. By the way, the people of this land were notoriously polite and were so proud of it, the graveyards were full of people who went there sooner than they should have, never uttering a negative word. With a shaken rage, the appalled man returned, I keep them warm when I burn them. They just can't see that what I'm doing to them is good for them. It was here that the old-faced little girl realized that the cold man had such a warped sense of reality that she'd probably have more luck asking a lipless rhinoceros beast to close its mouth while it ate baby crispy crunch birds. And she said as much. This insult infuriated the cold man, and so he threw mucho fuego at the oldie face. The woman shielded her head with her bundled arms, and she remained unharmed. This made the cold man livid, and so he magnified his fire efforts by nuclear proportions. The old-faced little girl curled up in a ball, and the mushroom blast didn't take root. The cold man raged, stomped, and screamed in a tantrum more powerful than 10,000 brats on a dead pony. The son, eager to ease his father's pain, tackled the old-faced little girl, trying to set her aflame with his own fire. She did not burn, but when he pulled at her limbs, he heard a ripping sound. The son soon discovered that the girl's body was just that of a rag doll's, soaked with water. He pulled and pulled until all the fabric was pulled away, and all that remained was a head and a heart. And those were now burning a little bit from the sun's touch. What kind of a soggy, indescript creature are you? The cold man demanded. I'm just a person whose mother burnt most of me away when I was a little girl, she replied. The son, who had been partially put out by all the soggy cloth, became empathetic with the old head and heart. And so he used his torn, wet body parts to dab out what flames he'd inflicted on her. This betrayal incensed the cold man, and he poured onto his son all the firepower and fuel he could muster. It was all too much, and the son gave up living. At seeing his dead son, the cold man regretted his actions immediately and began to wail. His tears put out the remaining flames left on the old little girl, for which she thanked him for. 
His fit ended at the girl's gratitude, but still weeping, he proclaimed to her, Now that my son is dead, I'm colder than I've ever been. Can you help me get warm without hurting anyone? You still have your daughter and wife, the head and heart offered. He shook his cold head. My wife keeps out of my reach, and my daughter keeps out of my sight. A child who hasn't been burnt by one parent always stays close, the old head suggested. I'm sure your wife knows where your daughter is. So the cold man's eyes scanned the setting dark for his wife's contained fire. It was still for a time, but then it began to move. He quietly followed his wife down to the lake, where she got into a boat and began to row out. He entered the water and swam quietly behind. The boat settled on a small island where the wife walked up into and up towards a whale. She spoke into the whale, at which a voice the cold man recognized replied. He approached the whale, crying in joy at hearing his daughter's voice again. His wife wiped his eyes with her burning hand, and her pain finally ceased. The cold man's tears were overflowing, and he took the whale bucket to catch the liquid. He looked down in the whale to his burnt little girl and offered the bucket. She accepted, and he let down the rope, where she added the tears to her well water home. And this made the cold man warm, somewhat. The chill never did completely leave the cold man. With memories of those who still were in pain because of him, this author included, nameless peoples who were dead because of him, his son also dead because of him, his daughter never leaving the safety of the well because of him, his wife left with a useless, crunchy, brittle arm and half-charred face because of him. It was all regret so strong that it easily kept what warmth he had acquired at bay. But no one was on fire anymore, at least not by his hands. I'm not going to lie to you and say that peace completely returned to the land. Some of his victims perpetuated the hurt put on them, becoming quite the deft fire starters, though minus some of the veracity. And some people forgave the cold man when he asked. Others accepted help from him when he offered, including the old-faced little girl, for whom he built a new woman's doll body with several exciting, innovative features. Side note, if you're ever in this land, ask folks about the old-faced hottie. You won't hear much about her dealings with the cold man, that legend having gone cold, but you will hear about her heroic feats as a tank commander in the war against the puddle sniffers of the East Tank and how good she looked doing it. The old man died maybe a few years later after he changed his low-down ways. And when that happened, an incision was made into a high hill where no shade ever colored the ground. There, the old man was laid down into it and was finally warm without interruption. In the last story, Jodas and our lack of introspection. There was a village on the outskirts of everywhere where because of location and history, they had been cut off from the rest of everywhere. Some customs had developed that were quite a bit different from everywhere, and even though they were starting to get visitors from everywhere else, the villagers still held on proudly to their un-everywhere-like ways of life. Some of the customs weren't that different than probably yours, but depending on one's ability to see outside oneself, they still might seem strange. For example, every morning, the villagers would put on their proudest clothes, fix their hair and face up, grab their proudest possessions, and then go walk around the town. 
Sure, sometimes it was just a case of being braggadocious, but in most cases, it was not much different from any artist or musician or writer producing a piece and then sharing it with anyone who was interested, and also maybe with a few who weren't. It would seem anticlimactic to make something and then toss it into a dark closet, yeah? Anyway, on one particular day, there was one guy there named Pleep Bibliswimmer who walked around with all his favorite books, hoping someone else who had also read them would strike up a conversation. If not that, at least he could hope someone who hadn't read them would stop and ask Pleep what they were about, giving the man an opportunity to talk about his cherished works. Of course, for every Pleep Bibliswimmer, there was a Rice Togonose who carried around difficult books just to show off what he could comprehend. It worked. There seemed to always be some young girls impressed by just such long titles as The practice of making obvious connections between cause and effect is so oversimplified, I can't even look you in the eye when you're running from the exploding volcano. Also out and about on this morning was a young woman named Stritch Starn, who all her life was told she had the figure of a 2x4 wooden plank. Well, after getting married, thus getting tugged this way and that by her husband, and of course giving birth to a child that comes from all the tugging, The woman's body had blossomed into a curvy, luscious landscape, which she highlighted proudly by the beautiful dress she wore. In addition to Miss Starring, there was a man named Jasper Breifert, carrying around a petrified human hand. If asked about it, he would tell you about his poor daughter, Fiffy, who'd gotten the previous town king angry at her for criticizing his use of the eyelids of people smarter than him as chewing gum. Fiffy's punishment for a crime against the city-state was being tied down into the feeding trough of a giant grandisar. By carrying this petrified hand around, the old man got to relive his memories of his poor child, whose hand it was. But then he'd also get to tell about his brave other daughter, Kiffy, who went off in search of her sister and found the remains of Fiffy in the stone nest of the grandisar. After some strategic creeping, the brave daughter killed the grandisar with a well-jabbed toe-bone of a bookend butt-monster. People thought this creature had a hiney on both ends, but only one side was an actual backside, while the other end was a face with a vertical mouth. And Kiffy was able to return the remains of her unfortunate sister to her father. You can see now why, if I'm ever in that region, I wake up early just to swing over and have a look at everyone and the items they hold precious. And sometimes I learn something. Now and again, on this day... There was an end-of-her-middle-aged woman named Joda Leitz, who was out strolling with some of her prized possessions. And although she was very proud of these various items she carted around, she was even more proud of what was coming via the package packer mail system any day now. She wanted it to be such a secret, she tried not to think about it too much, in case there was any mind-guessers in the neighborhood. I don't even know what it was she was expecting, but according to Joda, it might would be the first one of its kind in the village in a long time. So even though she was still happy to converse about all the stuff on her person on this morning, she would let you know that these were going to be pretty lame compared to what was coming. She saw another same-age woman with a small group gathered around her. It was Clixie Quum, who had a son who had become a soldier, and so was always sending his mother fascinating items he had come across in his campaigns in foreign lands. "'What you got there, Clixie?' Joda asked. The question seemed to make the audience that had been around Miss Quum disperse, and so Joda was able to see for herself. Clixie was holding photographs. Oh my goodness, I remember my grandmother talking about these kinds of things, Joda exclaimed excitedly. Aren't they amazing? Miss Quam chimed in. My son said the outside world has remembered how to get the photograph contraptions to work again. 
Soon, I'm sure, we'll get to see our own selves on paper. I hope. I've never seen myself except in the reflection of wavy water or cloudy glass. Joda stared at all the captured images. Some she could identify, others she could not. This one is a capital building in the city-state of Cagey Town. This one is a cow crooker in the sky during a tornado. And this one is somebody's foot. I reckon that last one is what some folks used to call introspective photography. Joda shrugged. Either that or the picture contraption has an eye dangling out of its socket. Possibly, Clixie concurred as she tried to take the pictures back from Joda. So tell me, Joda, about what you've brought for us to look at today. Hey, I didn't get to see all the pic. Oh, they're great. Joda stated, torn between not wanting to miss out on both seeing all the photos and bragging on her prized thingies. But not so easily distracted. After a quick rundown of all she was showcasing, Joda asked, Hey, Clixie, can I see the rest of the photos? Oh, you've seen the best of them, but I want to see them all. I'll let you have another gander at the seat of my belly hole. It's starting to sprout. I... But before Clixie could object anymore, Joda had snatched the photos from her hands. Whoa, Joda exclaimed. What is this one all about? Clixie inhaled, exhaled, and then said sheepishly, It's a woman trapped in a rose patch being attacked by a tri-jawed chompagator. Clixie, this is the most exciting photo in the bunch. Why would you hide this from me? Mrs. Quum narrowed her eyes, searching Joda's face. But not finding what she expected, the woman shrugged. Oh, I just didn't want to show off. I know I can get a little verbose about my son and all his adventures. Oh no, Clixie, I enjoy hearing about him. We all know our chances of traveling around the second-hand planet are unlikely. Joda continued to stare at the strange, tragic photo. What a sad, foolish woman, she commented, shaking her head. You know, Joda, Clixie started, you can have that photo if you want. Really? Oh, Clixie, that's so nice of you. I'm going to go home now and hang it right up. And in thanks, I'll let you see something very special in a few days' time. You'll be the first to lay eyes on it, save for me. Clixie nodded. Okay, I look forward to it. As soon as Joda got home, she placed the photo up next to the spot on the wall where her special package would stand. That way, every morning, she could gaze on the funny, sad photo as she admired her coming purchase. The next morning, Joda went out as usual to mingle among her fellow townspeople and suddenly came across some gawkers around Rice Togano's who was telling Pleat Blibby Swimmer that his favorite books weren't even real books just material containing non-nonsensical sentences that magically retarded mind meat genetically destined to serve greater minds, such as Mr. Togano's. Seems Reich wanted Pleep to go ahead and serve him by going to his workplace and doing his mundane duties, singing into birdcages to test the accommodating acoustics of the metal wires. Our equality is described perfectly in the treaties, inconvenient logic, and morality snobs I wish got conceptual cancer proclaimed Pleat Blibby Swimmer. Why are you reading that book? Rice Togano's demanded, as if someone had just dropped a piece of cold, stinky meat into his ear. Hmm, because I will give any book my good eye at least once, just to see what it says. That book was written by a booger-brained-minded hate monger. Have you actually read the book? It's not that at all. I don't have to read it. I know I will hate it. But how can you know if you don't read... Boys, boys, Joda interrupted. Could one of you well-read individuals tell me something? The woman pulled up her blouse a little, revealing her belly. Shocked by the nice sight, both men instantly forgot their quarrel for the moment. And it was then that she began telling about one of her prized show-around possessions. 
You may know that some time ago, I found a seed laying on a rock that I could not identify. I felt it was very poetic to find such a thing on such a desolate place that I've kept it in my warm, sometimes moist navel ever since. And guess what? It's began to sprout. Can either of you tell me what kind of plant it will grow to be? Pleep and Reich took a gander and both gave various guesses, but neither could settle on any definite answer. It didn't matter to Joda, who actually only wanted their heated, ear-grating argument to end. Having done that, the non-male gawkers wandered off and peace resumed to the show around time. For a minute, anyway. Not far off, while flattening out some slight bunches in the material around her hips, Stritch Starn commented to Clixy Quum, Pleep's problem is that he's vain. He carries around those big books just to show off that he's read them. Well, said Clixie, have you seen how thick that book that's at the top of his stack is? And when I mean thick, I mean both in girth and content. I could only get a few pages in before my head was spinning. So if he actually got through that whole book, I say, let him have his day in the sun. He's earned it. Stritch nodded. I suppose you're right. Still, one should be careful not to show off. At that, Clixie coughed and commented. But Stritch, are you wearing that dress because you're stumping for the tailor that made it? Nah, you're showing off that stunning body you've grown into. And that's cool. I don't care. If you got it, flaunt it, if that's how you find your self-esteem. But me? I'm a mother now, and I don't need vanity. I'm comfortable not caring what anybody thinks of me. Stritch bit her bottom lip and responded. Really, Clixie? Did you know that there's a bit of slushy oats hanging off your left earlobe and has been dangling there ever since you ate breakfast? Really? Clixie responded as she pulled at her earlobe, trying to find the stated food. Hey, there's nothing here. Why did you tell a fib? Why did you try to clean your ear off if you didn't care none what anyone thinks? Clixie's eyebrows rose up on their far ends, and she began popping her knuckles. Seeing that the dialogue was about to ease into female-fisted blows, Joda stepped in, stating, Speaking of edibles, in the cranial region, did you all notice the lurky turkey meat ribbons in my hair? And with that, Joda distracted the two by proudly telling how she came by the unusual hair ornaments. The body is a thing that will always let us down in the end by dying, commented Jasper Bryfurt, gazing nearby at the two obviously vain women. We should emotionally let go of it as soon as we can before it leaves us brokenhearted. Joda couldn't tell if Jasper were being ironic or oblivious. But before she could ponder about it much, another man named Toza Cream came up and patted the sad man on the back. We hate what happened to your little Fiffy. Can you tell us something about her before the bad thing happened? Jasper smiled and gladly told a tale of how even when she was small, Fiffy was mouthy, pointing out adults' inconsistencies. The old man concluded with, I just wish she could have lived to have seen King Peel ousted and replaced by the great and just King Cobb. Toast cocked his head at the old man, and maybe without thinking let out, But Jasper, King Cobb has himself executed those who have angered him. My best friend was torn piece by piece through a super vacuum cleaner for criticizing Cobb's regulation of gut melon farming. Not only is my best friend liquidated, but his family nearly starves to death now. But that was irresponsible speech, Toes. People need to know the truth about the dangers of giant gut melons. Their existence offsets the food market prices and is suspiciously too delicious. This must be stopped for our own society's good. My daughter's words were just and righteous, and you have no right to compare the two. My daughter's dead. How dare you question my opinions on this matter? You have no right. <laughs> my best friend is dead as well, and incidentally was his father's son. Shall we go get his father and let him state his position on the matter? He surely has a right based on your assertion that your opinion matters more than mine. You better watch your mouth. At least you find yourself in the just jaws of a grandisar. All it takes is a note passed into the castle walls. Speaking of walls, 
Have you seen my scaly-skinned friend, Lizardy? Joda interrupted the argument that was fast descending into a knockdown dragout fight. Removing the reptile from one of her pockets, the woman placed the cute creature in Toe's lacrimes, shaking from fury hands. My little guy caught a jiggle Beltel rat the other day. I was so relieved. That rat was crawling all in the walls, ring-a-ding-dinging all night long. I about never got any sleep at my house. A little later that morning, Joda returned home to find her package waiting for her. So excited, she skipped lunch to put it up in its designated space on the wall. The special item was actually only a mirror, but again, not many were around in those parts. Thus to Joda, and to anyone else who would eventually see it, it was a big deal. The woman was so enamored with the mirror that every morning for weeks, she'd stand in front of it and admire its ability to show her exactly how she looked. In fact, Joda became so consumed with her own reflection, she quit caring about going into town to meet with Clixie, Stritch, Jasper, or anybody else outside of herself. Who cares what they saw or thought of her anymore? She was more content alone in front of the mirror. Also, Clixie's photo didn't seem near as amazing now, though still hanging there next to the mirror. Joda did glance at the picture every so often and giggled at the poor trapped woman portrayed in it, but it didn't compare to the wonder of the revealed self. The screamingly ironic thing is, Joda never did compare the photo's image with her own in the mirror. If she had, she would have noticed the growing, striking similarities. Her belly button garden was growing all over her body. Her lizard was expanding increasingly closer to a small dinosaur size, and her meat earrings had become the apple of the said animal's eye. It wasn't until Joda's head had been eaten by the deadly lizard that the last bit of electricity sparking through her digesting brain understood that most people fail to see that the same shortcomings and inconsistencies that are apparent in others are also screaming in our own lives even when mirrors and photographs are placed side by side. If somehow you've managed to get through these two tales and you yearn for more mental torture, you might check out some of the other patches of a secondhand planet stories I've put up. One called Machimium vs. the Cook of Kernum, and another called going down with brick bulb town which can be found on this podcast feed or on the brofisticate.com in the corner back by the woodpile is produced by a closet a pocket and a suitcase you can listen to this podcast on itunes stitcher or podbean.com if you'd like to send us some hate mail you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com see ya and i wouldn't want to be ya (laughs) 